News Hounds from Queen City Nerve is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network, powered by Ortho Carolina. Find out more at queencitypodcastnetwork.com. Welcome to episode 39 of Queen City Nerves News Hounds podcast. I am Ryan Pitkin and my co-host Justin is here as always. As always, yes again, but I tell you today was the closest I came to not being here. <laughs> every time every time we get a little closer. Well, you know I was having a bad day. Right. Plus I'm going to do my best to understand what we're talking about. <laughs> I think, yeah, I think because like, I think we need Justin for this conversation just to represent the folks. Let's I, dumb it down. I spent a little too much time around it while reporting on it. And these folks are very familiar. So we want to make sure we stay in, in layman's terms here. But if you're listening to this, don't you dare call me dumb. <laughs> <laughs> so we have two guests here with us today. Uh, and I'm going to let them introduce themselves and their positions in context of our conversation, which we'll be touching on zoning in the future for Charlotte and the Charlotte Future 2040 Comprehensive Plan. You've heard a lot of talk about it in local media and whatnot, and we're going to try to really break it down in a way that makes it digestible today. So we have Kiba Samuel here with us. Kiba, you just want to let us know what your role with the city and county is. So I am Kiba Samuel, and I serve as the vice chair of the Planning Commission for Charlotte-Mecklenburg. In my current role, I chair the zoning committee, and we hear and deliberate on land use decisions for the city, we make recommendations to city council on whether or not something is good or not for a particular area geographically in the city in terms of development. How long Glad have you been doing be. that? So I joined the planning commission in 2017, summer 2017, and I am in my second year serving as vice chair. Okay. And Ricky Hall. And I'm Ricky Hall, and I'm a community leader in on the west side particularly in the West Boulevard, Carter area, and a leading voice for Community Benefits Coalition. All right, and we're going to get into what that coalition is recently formed. But first, let's get a, let's get a good grasp <laughs> as best we can on the comprehensive plan. I know we could just sort of break this down all night, but in 30 seconds, tell me everything that's in it, Kiba. Uh, <laughs> No, but how would you describe it sort of in an elevator pitch style as to why this is important, what what the city is setting out to do? It's been a two and a half year process. What we hope to accomplish with this comprehensive plan? So the last time this was attempted was in 1975. That in and of itself makes this plan highly necessary. The comprehensive plan, the 2040 plan, basically is a map for how we envision the city growing over the next 20 years. And it touches on and champions many things like environmental justice, uh, housing affordability, transportation and mobility. There's, there's something in this plan for everyone. And we've been kind of handling development in the city on a piecemeal basis. And the comprehensive plan is basically will be an umbrella to the many area plans that we have, to the many community plans that we have, and also the land use policies that we have, the tree canopy action plan. The, uh, there, there's so many things that will fall under the 2040 plan. It will bring cohesiveness right. to development and the growth for the city. And I think a big part of this, uh, at least in terms of our conversation, is the new draft of a unified development ordinance. You'll hear it referred to as the UDO pretty often, and that's still in the drafting process, but it's a big part of what folks have been talking about. What, what does the unified development ordinance set out to do? So the, the UDO, the unified development ordinance, is the policy behind the comprehensive plan. 
it is the regulation portion of uh, development for the city. In 2017, when I joined the Planning Commission, the UDL was already underway. It was already being oh, developed. So this is even longer process. Than Absolutely. That. Um, the UDO has been talked about for quite some time and you had place types, the first iteration of place types that were being developed at the time. We did not have a planning director in 2017. Taiwo Jaioba joined us in early 2018, January to be exact, I believe. Uh, we were operating under an interim director, Ed McKinney, very smart, very strategic partner for the Planning Commission at that time. And uh, when Taiwo joined, and it, it took him a very short time to realize that we were kind of doing this backwards. You have to first have a vision for your city before you can write policy for the development of the city. So although the UDO was in development, there wasn't a comprehensive of plan. So he approached the Planning Commission and City Council, and we both gave him the, the charge with going ahead and developing a comprehensive plan so that uh, we had a standard vision for what we wanted the city to look like so that we can write policy that reflected the vision. So the UDO is older at this point than the comprehensive plan in terms of its uh, iterations and development, but it was also running parallel. So we didn't want to interrupt the go forward of the UDO and have it stand still waiting on the development of the comprehensive plan because the UDO is also very, very necessary. So it was quite an ambitious feat mm -hmm. to do them both on a parallel basis. But so, here we are today. So the UDO is essentially the rules that govern the plan set? Basically, <laughs> okay. it is the policy that brings the vision to life. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. So the, the plan is the vision. The yes. plan is all this engagement that's happened over the last two years, communities, and, and trying to figure out what we need to prioritize as a city when it comes to development and building and, and things like that. And the UDO is how you implement that in terms of how a planning staff and then in extension the city council actually accepts and approves and or denies, say, a zoning petition or a developer wanting to come in and build something. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Now, as, as a community leader yourself, Ricky, this is something that you've always had an interest in on the West Boulevard, I assume. How long have you, how long have you been sort of actively involved in this way in terms of as a community leader? Born and reared in the West Boulevard Carter and have been actively involved for all of my adult life, for which is about uh, 45, 46 years involved in the community. So you've seen so much change, Excuse me. obviously, over those years. I mean, what are some of the things, before we even get into the talk of this plan and this draft, what are some, I mean, how have you seen the West Boulevard Corridor change over that time, and what concerns you about that change and or is change that you'd like to see? Well... Being a native Charlottean, you know, in the West Boulevard Corridor, I can say that economic development and or growth hadn't been as prominent as you see in other areas of the community. And, you know, being Charlotte resident, I can certainly say that in communities like the West Boulevard Corridor and marginalized communities, black and brown communities, that that growth hadn't been as prominent as other communities. But I, what I can say is that given the growth of Charlotte Mecklenburg, that growth is accelerating land value, accelerating taxes, and accelerating gentrification. And so given that the growth of the city, one of the things that I have seen is that, that there needs to be a way 
in which we can take a comprehensive plan that has very aspirational goals and also um, make sure that aspiration and implementation from a UDO perspective has language that speaks to the framework that is outlined um, in the comprehensive plan. Mm -hmm. And I always will also say that not only should there be uniformity between the comprehensive plan and the UDO, but there's another significant component of that, and that's the uh, transportation overlay component. So from our perspective, that language that's in aspirational in the comprehensive plan needs to be strengthened and applied such that a new tool can be implemented within this framework that gets us to these equity issues, that gets us to these place types, and does so in a way to where marginalized communities can achieve benefits consistent with the growth that we're seeking to achieve. Right. And we know that it's coming. My curiosity on that, because I can totally get behind everything about what you just said, how much of the comprehensive plan is transportation? You, you're crazy if you think I read that 320-page plan. <laughs> that's that's for, that's other people's jobs. I'm trying to make sure that I'm live. How much of it is about transportation? A lot. Um, oh. I mean, okay, then forget it. Connectivity. Just, just and, <laughs> no, I mean, Kiva, I mean, you can speak so, to that. Yeah, so you I guys. I I did read the whole thing. Uh, last Wednesday or so, and it took me the whole work day. You've had since October. And it, well, I know. That's <laughs> part of the discussion. But, I mean, you can speak to that as far as what priority that sets, and then we can get into gotcha. how to make it you know, feasible. So if you've been watching any of the planning commission meetings and recently planning committee meetings, you may have heard me explicitly state or have watched city council. Meetings. You probably have heard me state explicitly that the partner to the comprehensive plan is a strategic mobility plan. You guys have heard the words Charlotte Moves. That right, kind of are, that's the big everything from the light rail going west to the bus lanes and everything in between. Greenways, Greenways. exactly. Right. Trails, everything. So in those between. aren't those aren't separate. They are currently. <laughs> However, okay. Mobility is a very key component to the success of the comprehensive plan. Of course. That is no secret, and uh, there's no other way to put it. Every goal and vision that the comprehensive plan speaks to, from livable and connected to regional, everything circles pretty much around access and mobility options. So I do agree with Ricky in that transportation and mobility in general will be a key component to the success of the comprehensive plan. And right now we're at a place with that transportation plan where that's we're still in search of funding. That's been another story in the news this year, just in terms of the Charlotte Moves Task Force headed by Harvey Gantt had suggested, recommended that we put a referendum on the ballot this coming November that would get us a one cent sales tax increase locally. I can't remember the numbers right now, but it would be something like $8 billion out of the, what, $30 billion that we need for this plan over decades? It's or maybe 8 to more 12 than, billion is the 8 number. 12 would be the number that would raise well, eight to twelve billion is the cost of the plan in general, oh, gotcha, and then okay. we would need the the city would need to account for half of that. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. And now we're tax looking the at, rich, right? <laughs> it's a zip code thing. 
well, now we're looking at the possibility that we're not going to be able to even have a ballot or, a, oh, or yeah. an election this year. This year, due to census numbers and the, without city council, what was the last statement on that? As terms of, are we able to vote? Would that be feasible to vote on uh, prop or on a sales tax increase without an city council election? I think that's still being deliberated. Okay, yep. gotcha. Um, I don't want to vote if I can't vote against. <laughs> of course, I went straight against. If I can't vote against our current city council. Go ahead, Ricky. If I can, while we're talking about transportation, I want to come back to it. But I think it's important for the listeners to know mm-hmm. that when the comprehensive plan and the schedule for hearings and approval were scheduled, that a lot of groups came out, and some of them has been in staunch opposition to it and call for delays in the comprehensive plan is up to a year. And there have been various interest groups that have come forward. I want to make it plain tonight that the CBC is not a part of any of those larger efforts that says this is illegal, slow this down for a year, or any of those things. We're not anti growth, we're not anti-development. What we were saying is that there is a new tool that can help us achieve this equity uh, framework, and it's called a community benefits agreement. And while there has been strong opposition to it, our position has been this, is that we support those aspirational goals, but at the same time, we support stronger language for the implementation strategies. And so we called for a delay in the hearing. The hearing was held just the other day. Mm -hmm. But there has been considerable dialogue between the planning director, Taiwo, and I have to give him him credit. Um, There's been even dialogue with the the mayor uh, where we asked for, you know, anti-displacement language. And there have been assurances that anti-displacement language will be uh, placed into it. We asked for representation from a CBC perspective on the uh, unified, the UDO process. That's been assured that we would have that. And there is ongoing dialogue and discussion in terms of the community benefits mm-hmm. and the creation of community benefits zones. Mm-hmm. And so in saying that, I, I would say that what the CBC is asking for is not anti-growth, not anti-comprehensive plan. In fact, it supports it, but we are saying, let's not do it in such a way that the community is behind, particularly those marginalized communities that have been heavily impacted and that could be significantly heavily impacted just from a a transportation perspective. Mm -hmm. When you look at the light rail developments that have taken place or that will take place, these are great concerns, and I think that the CBC and communities have a right mm-hmm. to ask for those assurances. I love that you said that so firm so early on in the podcast, so if anybody tunes out, they got to hear that, because everything that I've seen in coverage surrounding this comprehensive plan, and of course it only became a popular thing once it was brought up to be decided on, 
is everybody wanted to focus on like the Myers Park Neighborhood Association and their opposition to having multifamily housing built in their neighborhoods and things like that. And it was just centering, it was just centering white fear of bringing overcrowdedness into East Charlotte or Southeast Charlotte and things like that. Nobody has focused on the West End or marginalized communities or black and brown communities and how any of this plan will impact them in the in in coverage like we we talked about it in our community buildings initiative community building initiatives leaders under 40 class when Tywo Jaoba was a speaker for us and going over the comprehensive plan that was all that we talked about was making sure that there was inclusionary language and anti-displacement language and stuff like that and like really putting it out but I'm just I'm glad that you threw that out there and said that you you don't want to delay it for any reason other than to make sure that the people who are where they are get to stay where they are have access to those 10 minute neighborhoods have access to those transportation services and stuff like that because a 10 minute neighborhood doesn't mean anything to me other than shopping retail and living but from remember here I didn't read the 320 page document I don't know where the jobs come about and you want a job in your 10-minute neighborhood, but if you got to leave that 10-minute neighborhood to get the job, then you should develop the transportation at the same time that you're developing the area. And that's it. That's all I got. Right. <laughs> Let me just say, you're, you're absolutely right. Because what a community benefits, they go beyond just the discussion of land use zoning and planning or rezoning decisions. Well, give a yeah. quick rundown for the listeners uh, real quick of what a community benefits agreement is. A, a community benefit agreement is an agreement between the developer and the community benefit group that seeks to have a win-win solution wherein the community has issues or concerns that have not been met, but it wants to see as a part of support for the development that is proposed. And we're talking about real tangible results. So whenever you can have a process by which the developer gets the support of the community and the exchange provides certain resources back to the community, that is a win-win for the community. That is not anti-growth. That is not anti-development. But it meets community need that, that allows for the type of framework outlined in the comprehensive plan. Right. And I'll just add to that, that to Ricky's point, community benefits agreements is something in general that I personally support because legislatively, the zoning committee and city council for that matter are restricted in terms of what they can request or mandate that a developer do produce, provide mm -hmm. for a particular community. And that's in terms of like affordable housing, things exactly. like that. Exactly. Because I think a big concern when I've spoken to Jason with the Community Benefits Coalition for the article was he was saying, you know, and this is this, you know, I, I, I say supporter and I, I shouldn't use that language because it makes you guys look like it's your opponents. But folks will admit, you know, like even as you're tracking this new development that is, you know, bringing more density, multi-use, multi-family uh, housing, things like that, it still doesn't guarantee any affordability to this sort of thing. You can still bring in a townhouse into Elizabeth or where Noda, wherever, and charge just astronomical numbers for it based on market price. And I know community benefits agreements are part of 
the plan in the sense that they are looked at as a goal and seen as a case study and look at these places where this has been uh, successful, but what can be done, what are our limits and what are our opportunities as far as CBAs go in Charlotte? Because I know there's some legislative barriers. So as you've probably heard, that's one of the buzzwords that we've been referring to recently. And no, we can't mandate that a developer include affordable housing. No, we can't mandate that they, you know, contribute $5 million to CDOT. But a or commu- Queen City Nerve. Or, qu- or, yeah. <laughs> or Queen City Nerve. Wow, $5 billion? <laughs> <laughs> so that's as of today. But right, right. with a plan of this magnitude, we have to look to the future. And if we don't aspire to that, who will? Charlotte is one of the largest metros in the state. So if we don't take the lead on that, who can we rely on to take the lead? Mm-hmm. And that might be the future for coalitions like the CBA. Mm-hmm. And that's just so to that make sure I get this right in terms of how a community luck, bargaining. It's comprehensive. It is comprehensive if it's anything else. <laughs> in a community benefits agreement, this is a one-time deal where you sort of lay out the land for developers looking to develop in a neighborhood? Or would it be more of a... A case by case basis. So you want to build twenty units here? Let's sit down at the table with this community group. How would that look? Two points: a community benefits agreement is unlike what we currently have under public private partnership, and those are relationships between city or county government and the developer. And oftentimes they involved in rezoning decisions and things of that particular nature. And the community is in the last position of that effort. And often the discussions end up being about, you know, zoning and or density or or height and or unit mix and things of that particular nature. And at the time in which it gets to the community, it's somewhat kind of certain that this is going to happen in community benefits arrangement. It changes the order of that relationship to where the relationship starts at the community and the developer level Mm -hmm. and can have city or county or local government involvement as a negotiator. And so that is the change in order of the relationship, but it's also based on the fact that in these marginalized communities, we talk about social and economic mobility. We talk about, you know, being 50 out of 50. We talk about if you have, if you were born in poverty, you're going to end up in poverty. We talk about, you know, the affordable housing issues. We talk about any number of these, but it's an economic equation and a question that is attempting to be solved between the developer and the community that brings real community wealth to the community in a lasting way to where the dollars turn over mm-hmm. and benefits are had in terms of jobs and or other types of, of, of supports that prove to be very beneficial to these communities. Yeah, a couple thoughts I just had. Would a community benefit zone, which we've talked about a lot with the Community Benefits Coalition, look like when you look at zoning petitions now, when you're watching a business uh, meeting for city council, you see city staff does recommend this, 7-1, or doesn't recommend this. 
Could that, and we're obviously talking hypothetically here because we haven't gone to NCGA. We're going to do that as soon as we leave here tonight and we're going to go lobby them. <laughs> yeah, I already called Uber. <laughs> we have called the White House on this podcast before. <laughs> Didn't uh, answer. <laughs> but let's just say I'm, I'm bouncing ideas around. Would that, could that look like, oh, community zone number two where this is petition is taking place on West Boulevard? That community group, that community benefits group, does recommend this. Is that sort of how you would see that working? When we talk about community benefit zones, if you take Charlotte, Charlotte, Charlotte is large and growing. And a certain you know sectors of the city have different needs. And so when you talk about a community benefit zone, you're talking about applying the same principles and practices. It just covers the area of focus in which this is this is being taking place. And so that is that is the kind of structure, but we're talking about applying the same type of structure to a CBA in any one part of that particular zone. Right, that you would get from a zoning committee currently. And would there be ways, one thing I think about a lot when it comes to gentrification and stuff is everyone think, talks about housing, and that's... That's a word I understand. That's, that's <laughs> what, housing? <laughs> gentrification. <laughs> People focus on housing and displacement, and they should, and that's important because there's nothing without that in the first place. But for those who do stick behind, I know one of the reasons that I really look fondly on Lou and, and uh, Lewis Donald running Sweet Lou's Barbecue is because he made it a point when he came into Belmont and, and opened his barbecue spot was that he, he hires people from the community. Ace Could as well. Could you see, yeah. Could you see, yeah, Aces does the same next door. And that we know Belmont is one of the quickest gentrifying neighborhoods. You can we we have our we're in it right now, and we see it as we drive into work all the time. Oh man, they put up a little. Uh, they spray the painted a little. Store. Oh yeah, but they spray painted this nice little thing on the side of this big building. I saw it this morning on the way in. I don't remember what it said, but I was like, "Looks nice." Oh, okay. <laughs> so, I actually saw. I maybe you'll know about this. We're getting off topic, but that's fine. I saw a city city vehicle the other day. It was one of the SUVs. And it just said graffiti on the side, and it was painted in a graffiti way on the side of a white car. But it had the crown, like it was a city yeah, vehicle. Yeah, it was one of those. I think it called a neighborhood cleanup crew or a neighborhood something. A cleanup she, graffiti? The producer's nodding. She must have seen one of these cars. I wanted to get a picture <laughs> so bad and just tweet it with, like, don't say Charlotte doesn't have culture. It just says <laughs> graffiti. But, uh, okay, where was I going? Oh, could that be a hypothetical way to use a community benefits agreement to say if you're going to build outside of housing development if you're going to build a mixed-use thing here let's say a brewery since that's the thing in charlotte you have to hire folks from within the neighborhood is that a feasible that is thing? Very, that is very feasible um not only that it you know there is a, an affordable housing component that could be added to uh, community benefits agreements in in a matter of fact uh, most of the 50 uh, CBAs that are being implemented across the country, you will find an affordable housing component. You'll, hi you'll find a local hiring component. Okay. You you'll find a living wage component. You'll find language that calls for, you know, contracting with minority and business and, and women's businesses as a part of that. You You may even find where we're asking for sidewalk improvements or park improvements or facilities that are not present in, in the community. Those are, are some just part and parcel of the types of benefits that could be wrought from this developer CBA 
relationship Mm -hmm. that doesn't stifle growth. It actually enhances growth, but it also keeps people in place and gets us to a point where where there's anti-gentrification that keeps people in place as well. These are the types of place-type visions that I think that we all want. Mm-hmm. I'll add that, that that already exists in Charlotte. Which, what? Where a developer goes to the community first. Mm-hmm. Oh, right, you have to have uh, like two public hearings or something? No, no, this is oh. before a public hearing. Oh, this okay. is before council. Mm-hmm. This may even be before going to the city. Mm-hmm. They go to the neighborhood. It's just not called the CBA. Mm-hmm. So what I'm excited to see what Ricky and crew are, are kind of doing because we don't see as much of that mm-hmm. on the west side. There are, you know, different associations and neighborhood groups around the city that already have land use committees. It's their job, their task to interject, to interrupt the flow of the developer, the city. You need to come to us first, hear what we have to say, and then present your project. But they, do they have authority by any, like... Measure. They have a lot of pull. Right. Gotcha. I want to talk. I want to talk about the hiring in the neighborhood thing because mm-hmm. that was a great idea. But that's all on the business owner because North Carolina is a right oh, to hire state. So yeah. there's. But would, that is part of the some of the um, uh, opportunities of quarter. Um, co- sorry, quarters, quarters of, of opportunity. That that's part of that language too. So it's 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 they try to break it in in other places in economic development. Um, if you're asking for city dollars for some of those projects, they will try to bake in some of that language. Okay. Again, legislatively, there's only so much city yeah. council can do. So this, what the CBA yeah. is trying to move forward in that regard is just going to be even better for the community. So that so, would be if you're getting government money to help assist in what you're doing. Yeah. But if you if you weren't, then there's nothing that says that you would ever have to do that right. because there, there's discrimination laws That's and everything key. like that. That's yeah. the key. And, and that you're absolutely right. CBAs are not in every situation. Mm-hmm. Where you find CBAs being most impactful is where there's substantial public investment that is actually being applied to that. And so this is the area in which CBAs seek from a marginalized community perspective that we can use this process to address and derive real benefit Mm -hmm. to the community. Yeah, because the only legal way that I could see around that would just be staffing companies who were explicitly working with local businesses to try and staff them from inside the community right, and yeah. have to work with them first. I mean, me personally, as I've talked about this before, especially with <laughs> Camp North End is the example that I would always use is to use incubation spaces that allow community members to be the business owners. Like everybody has a business idea, wants to own a business, but then they get priced out of building spaces, they get priced out of land spaces, then you have outsiders coming in, developing businesses, and there's no guarantee that they're going to hire from within the community. So that's what I always try and pay attention to. Like with Arrival. The Arrival <laughs> What a arrival. ridiculous name. <laughs> the Arrival of Arrival, building those electric cars or whatever the hell they're building over on the west side that's going to bring jobs to the west side. I do believe, since they made such a big deal out of it that they're going to target hiring people in that neighborhood. But that's not to say that anybody couldn't come in and develop, build a business and hire from outside that neighborhood, partner up with land developer, develop housing to bring people live there, displace, gentrify, all that stuff. World's a crazy place. (laughs) (laughs) 
Now, I will say, too, that one of the things that makes a CBA more viable is that they are legally enforceable from a contract's perspective. And that, too, rather than, you know, having this kind of third party last to be involved, may or may not, then... Like, we just have to hear what you have to say. Right, right, right. right. And then going on your merry way. This is a legally enforceable process, and I think that that is the strength of the CBA, and that is why from the comprehensive plan to the UDO to the TOD that we want to see seamless language. And, you know, while it's, it's a structure by which the community and that, or the coalition and the developer work hand in hand, there is a role for government to play. And so that strengthened language and or that mediation of, of CBA agreements can be a win, win, win for the community that ensures our continual growth. Right. And that's what I want to get into. Uh, we're going to take a real quick break, and then I want to talk about that. But I want to talk about... I'm just kidding. All right. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Yeah, we'll get into a little bit about just how realistic we think this is in terms of a legislative... Legislative? No. Yeah, that's right. I just made up a word. Our friends in Raleigh. But we're going to take a oh, quick no, break. Sorry, that's I the do. problem. Uh, I know. I have, a fo- I have a couple. And now some words from Ortho Carolina and Queen City Podcast Network. We'll be right back. At Ortho Carolina, my personalized orthopedic care feels like home because video visits bring my provider to me. Ortho Carolina, my care, my way. Schedule your appointment today at orthocarolina.com. Get ready. Broadway is returning to Charlotte. Blumenthal Performing Arts has an incredible selection of upcoming hits, including the returns of Hamilton and Wicked. Plus, the long-awaited Charlotte debut of Disney's Frozen and many more fan-favorite musicals and plays. Season tickets are on sale now at BlumenthalArts.org slash Broadway. Wash your hands, avoid sick people, and touching your face. There are everyday actions to help prevent the spread of respiratory diseases. Visit CDC.gov slash COVID-19. Brought to you by the National Association of Broadcasters and this station. And we're back. Second half, Queen City Nerves, New Sounds Podcast. Dun, 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 dun. dun, dun. <laughs> Me and Ryan were just talking about how much we love Tariq Bakari and Ed Driggs. 60 um, Days to American Tradition. It was. No, that's the name of their co-written book. So it was in the March 1st meeting where things just started. It seemed like they kind of hit a wall where... Taiwo gave a, a nice long presentation on the meeting. I mean, on the on the comprehensive plan. This has been for to be clarify to clarify. I don't know if I we said this up front, but the actual plan draft was released in October. It came up for this discussion March first at the city council meeting. Was scheduled to be voted on for approval or not in April. Um, it has since been pushed back to June thirtieth. But that night at city council, Tariq. Had said there was a lot of things said uh, over a long time, but Tariq had said, you know, if anything becomes crystal clear tonight, it's that this is not going to be ready to be voted on in sixty days. And I do think that was one of the best things said in the best meeting. Things. Best, smartest, level-headed, 
Reasonable. Logical. Reasonable. Reasonable work. Attainable. But I mean, what was that meeting like for the you? The monoultra microscopic silicone mechanical analysis. <laughs> for you, Kiba. In terms of sort of, you all had worked on this for this amount of time, <laughs> for two and a half years. You bring it You bring it in front of council. It is The draft's been out there for five months at that point. And they're like, I don't even and know everyone, what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, they're what just like, this? whoa, what? So I watched that meeting. And I, I know full well what you're referring to. Let's see how I can best describe what I felt. And the way that I'll describe it, I'm going to share with you a my version, my my part of a, a text string that I... You can read the other person's part. No, I won't read uh, the other person's or identify could. that other you're person. Gonna, but you, you could. don't identify them. <laughs> Watching tonight's strategy session, I'm a whole basket of feelings... I won't read that next part because it identifies the person. Hmm. Specifically speaking to the comp plan, personally, I believe that council has failed to partner with staff in properly informing constituents. Failed in bringing these phantom stakeholders. I'm not going to edit this. No, phantom stakeholders into the fold early in the process. Failed in not being informed enough throughout the entirety of this process. Failed to articulate their own concerns. Early on, I feel that they failed me as a resident, and I certainly feel failed as a strategic advisor and commissioner. They've basically told me, I don't care how much you've devoted. I don't care that you've shared thoughts and feedback. I don't care about your efforts to solicit thoughts and feedback from community mem community members to ensure as many voices as possible are heard. None of that counts because I've gotten this new feedback, albeit late in the game, from someone who had an opportunity to be involved in the process in the very early stages of plan development. Oh, and by the way, I haven't attempted to validate any of the comments or concerns. I just trust them to be true because of who the comments come from. Who said that? So I'll call them right now. I, no, she said that to someone about I said the that. council. Oh, no, I thought they said. I saw. I I felt like you were reading a text. And then back I apologize for dumping through. on this person. <laughs> um, I will say, with this is just factual, is that as the conversation was happening, the group Rebic, Real Estate and Building Industry Coalition, was texting almost every city council member saying, "Thank you for meeting with us this week." Thank you for meeting with us this week. Thank you for meeting us with us this week. And it was like, oh, so this is where a lot of this. Uh, it's it's fucked up to me that staff could spend so much time putting together a plan like this. The UDO has been in works for over four years. The plan's been in work for over two years. The plan's been available to be read since October. Half the <laughs> half of them, I'm going to try not to curse as much as I can so that we can get some shares out of this. Half the <laughs> motherfuckers didn't even read the fucking plan. And then we get to the meeting and they're like, you know, I just don't know enough about it. I don't know enough about it. You just read it last week. You know everything about it, right? Mm, Could no. you? Sure. But, I mean, but, but you could have you could have been given over you, you could have talked to your staff and talked to some people after you'd read it five months prior and had some conversations oh, to sure. make an informed yeah, I knew decision what it was about. Yeah, yeah sure and and out of 11 how many do you feel did that i think four that's right. my guess what do you think two yeah two's a good one okay <laughs> he was not wanting to talk it's She's it's the, just it's, it's just agreeing or disagreeing from it's, it's infuriating that we're talking about a plan that's 20 years in the 20 years in the future that i already feel in my own in my own opinion of it that once we switch 
council members, when we have a whole new council, a whole new mayor, that those plans are going to change, that somebody's going to propose a change to those plans and blah, blah, blah. They're not going to be set in stone and we'll move off track and, and somebody won't get what they were promised or this, this and that, blah, blah, blah. But they didn't go out of their way to learn everything that they could as elected officials representing the community to learn everything that they possibly could about the plan, to take all of the considerations that Ricky is talking about in, understanding that there needs to be community input into it, taking in everything that you're saying about it, everything, all of the work that everybody put into it, they just completely disregarded in that one meeting to now where they're taking the vote, pushing it back, taking it off the ballot, and it's fucked up. So three things I want to clarify. Number one, <laughs> I did not prompt Justin to say that. No, no I get no, mad. I number not. one. Number two, what I read were my comments, my mm. personal feelings, not representative of sure. what the commission feels at all in any shape, form, or fashion. That was Kiba Samuel speaking as a charlatan. I'm not born and bred like Mr. Ricky here, but I have been here for 22 years. So I consider this my home. And for the record, I live in unincorporated. I associate more so with District 2, mm -hmm. shouts out to Councilman Graham, but I live in an unincorporated area of Charlotte. I don't get a vote in city council. I, I was formerly in council uh, person Watlington's district, mm -hmm. and I've mm -hmm. moved over the years, but I, I don't get to vote for city council. But this plan, although it's not written for me per se, and I've got my air quotes on for, for folks who can't see us right now, but this plan affects my day-to-day. -day. This right. plan affects my everyday life. So, so I wanted to clarify those two points, and, and then I'll let you continue your rant. Yes, Justin. That was it. I was done. If you got a 320-page plan coming your way from your staff that's going to change the future of our city, read the fucking thing. And, yeah. and I'm sorry, the third thing, because I did say three. Shouts out to every council member who put in the time, shared what they could, read what they could. They have a lot on their plate. The 2040 right. plan was one thing. So this was a very emotional response, and I recognize that, which is yeah. why I only shared it with we one person at the time. Yeah, the time. we appreciate you sharing it with us and our two listeners. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I just wanted to, sh to say that city council does a lot for the city. I, I think that what they do is really 10% of what their constituents see. So that is not lost on me, but this is such a, a heavy, this is such a, I consider it a legacy document. Absolutely. Think about it. Yeah. What council member is going to be here 20 years from now? None mm -hmm. of them. This is your legacy. Can they do that though? And Yeah. Yeah. And yeah let, we, let, we don't have term limits in North Carolina. Let me um, add to that when we talk about, you know, the, the Ribics and the stronger voices of opposition. Oftentimes, those voices dominate the discussion and bend it to their, to their will. And that is how power displays itself on the powerless. Mm -hmm. And so what you actually see is a confluence. As I said in the beginning, our discussion is not aligned with, and our, our requests are not aligned with that power dynamic. Mm -hmm. Ours comes from a recognition of the people who have been historically marginalized and the need to bring their voice to the table in a way in which there is equity that brings about certain improvements in the lives of people where they, where they live. And so, you know, here's what a reality is in, as far as 
is my area in Corda. We certainly participated in the planning process in putting forth a, divi- a vision for the West Boulevard Corridor based on two things, both a strategic uh, direct, uh, direction already implemented from within the community and a realization that we are part of a larger framework and we ask that a plan be uh, developed. And so in working with planning and government, we looked at it from an economic development perspective. We looked at it from a land use perspective. We looked at it from the standpoint of community need. And it ended up being a card of playbook strategy. Where we fall down is that, that in creating this vision consistent with the 2040 plan, that particular vision created and outlined within the plan did not get council adoption. And since our completion of it, we said, is this card or playbook going to be adopted by council? And so we were told that some will, some won't. Well, what will and what won't? What part of this vision is a part of the comprehensive plan in terms of place type and all of those other markers? And what part of it will be driven by the UDO? Mm-hmm. And what part of it will be driven by a TOD? Because where we sit, the consultant that was brought in from Washington, D.C., described our Carter as a hole in a donut. And so when you look at the relationship between, let's just say, South End to the east, the airport to the west, the river district, even a little bit farther west, and the silver line in the future to the north, and development that's taking place to the south of us, then are we at the table or are we on the menu? Mm. And so from a community benefits perspective, from a 2040 comp plan perspective, in that aspirational language to the applied UDO process, where are we, where do we fall? And we don't want a process by which status quo continues to happen. We want a process by which we are at the table negotiating directly for true community benefit. That's, that's not too much to ask for. Right. And I don't think it, it, it's too much to ask for, for in any marginalized community in, mm-hmm. in Charlotte, including the far north end. Mm-hmm. Two things. What is a TOD? Transportation Overlay District. And how close do you think you're, you are to being at the table in those discussions? Given the anti-displacement, given seat at the UDO table, and given that we are asking for community benefit zones and there's ongoing discussion, I think that we are closer than we are apart, but we will continue to make these demands until our needs are met and we change the, the dynamic in this because this is not this is about both social justice it's about economic justice and it's about the there's also an environmental component to it too and so there are any number of things that I can certainly speak on beyond this point but for the sake of discussion there are a lot of maladies that have been percolating in 
this community for a long time. And a lot of communities, black and brown, that have literally vanished. Absolutely. I dare say that we continue that process. We're going to change that dynamic so that the economic might that is driving these discussions meets the might of the people and the will of the people to have a process that ensures of, for, and by the people in this UDO process. Absolutely. And did you want to say something? I was Keep just going to say, I was just gonna say that, uh, that that's probably a, a good lead into a point that I wanted to make about the, the engagement process mm-hmm. of the 2040 plan, um, and UDO for that matter. In terms of the comprehensive plan, again, I've already said that at 2018, top of 2018, we didn't have a comprehensive plan. By the f- summer of 2018, Council Planning Commission gives Planning Department Directive, we want a comprehensive plan. We gave Taiwo and team that charge. Literally, the very next month, the engagement process begins. So in the fall of 2018, the engagement process of the comprehensive plan begins. Community forums, every direction that they could go, they went. And admittedly, I was one of the early criticizers of the engagement strategy. I didn't think it was robust enough. But once you give that feedback to staff, they made the pivots that we were requesting as a commission in terms of public engagement. Have you tried this angle? Have you tried doing this outreach method? Things of that nature. So they were pivoting constantly. Kudos to planning staff. Fall of 2018, we get into 2019 and we get into phase two. We've established the, you know, the vision from the people, directly from the people, from these engagement sessions. We establish what the, the, what's the goal of the plan, what's the vision that we want to see. Phase two, we need to establish the goals to achieve this vision. In phase two, the, entire, the entirety of 2019 comes and goes. We're still out in the community and as staff is sharing some of uh, the numbers in terms of, you know, we went to this Zipco, we went to that part of the city, we went to this venue, and this is what we got. We targeted 500 people; only five showed up. I played hurtful. the board game. That's what I was gonna. I was gonna say. <laughs> I went to Beatty's Ford and Thank played you. the board game with some folks. Thank you so much. I, I was gonna say, didn't you? Didn't you say in the article that they reached a half million? people there's and a there half was, million engagements and six thousand five hundred gave input mm-hmm. that's yeah. a terrible percentage yeah what and again this is not the the sultry gossipy type topic that people gravitate to mm-hmm. this is land use this is not nobody wants to talk nobody wants to talk about that it's not interesting it can easily put some people the to general sleep. public doesn't but in in, in my head Whoever has the most land has the most power. Mm-hmm. So it's not enough, staff. What you're doing is not enough. We need to maybe make a pivot here. They did, they did it just like that. We agree. We, we, we've been trying. Here are things that we've, you know, we have in the, in the pipeline that will happen in phase. In, so the engagement strategy happened in three phases. So in phase two, it is establishing what is the vision? What are the goals that we want to achieve? So we have that going on. And they're presenting to the to trust me, they, they've presented to TAP committee, which is a subcommittee of city council. At minimum quarterly, they are presenting to Mecklenburg County in terms of community engagement. But on more of a monthly basis, they were com- communicating to planning commission 
about their successes or lack thereof in terms of community engagement. And often uh, myself and many other commissioners would comment, hey, what more can we do with community engagement? And then December 2019 comes, January 2019 comes, February 2019 comes, and guess what comes after that? March. It's uh, COVID. Yeah. Oh. Damn. Shall we dare say <laughs> did you it? Say not 2019. She did. She meant 2020. Tw- I'm not, oh, okay. I meant 2020. Uh, sorry, March 2020. <laughs> I like I was your, say I basketball your, tournament. <laughs> you had a good guess, so <laughs> the basketball tournament was canceled <laughs> thanks to COVID, and we've heard feedback, right? That COVID was the interrupter to the community engagement piece. COVID, oh. you know, it's not fair. You know, COVID interrupted. You know, people weren't paying attention. Things of that nature. And I would beg to differ because I think it was because of COVID that we now have a CBC in the picture. I think it was because of COVID that some of the people who are not normally at the table came to the table because now everybody's at home. Everybody took them away from their regular lives. Exactly. And now you have to constantly watch the news because that's the only thing you can do in COVID. Exactly. (laughs) You slide some comp plan stuff in there. Exactly. So I think that some of the people who would not be normally paying attention are now, oh, wow, what are the, what is the city doing? Let right. me pay attention to this. Yeah. So I think the engagement piece became even more robust because of COVID. Not only that, you've got staff who is presenting, hey, we have had several strategic advisor meetings. We've had several ambassador meetings. We've had several engagement sessions, but we're not hearing from people in 28216. We're not hearing from people in 28208. We're not hearing from people in 28214. We're not hearing from people in several zip codes. So we have reached out to those clergy, to those community groups to see, hey, how can we present to more people in these specific zip codes that we have not had robust engagement with? So I would say that kudos to staff because they have made every pivot possible to try to bring people to the, to the, to the table. Mind you, the strategic advisor and ambassador, that particular body was created in the fall of 2019. So this is well before COVID. We had several commissioners who were out there and, and part of the ambassador team, which what I am, our job was to get the word out to different community members, is to share information. Um, they've recently provided us with a, a toolkit. Here's how you address this question or that question and you know things of that nature. So they made many pivots throughout this engagement process, and I don't want that to be lost on folks. As we make recommendations to changes to the plan, I don't want the people who have been involved in the process from day one, I don't want their thoughts to be dismissed. Mm -hmm. I don't want their their thoughts and, 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 and time to be minimized. I want it to still have value. So as we bring in more people into the fold, and as a matter of fact, staff did that also during COVID. Hey, this is an opportunity where we can bring more people in. The Strategic Advisors Ambassadors Group used to be about 290 to 300 people. During COVID, it increased to almost 500 people because they were starting to, you know, more people are paying attention, more people are wanting to get involved. Let's open the door back again. Mm -hmm. So... Staff has taken feedback from different members and commissioners and community members, and I'm glad to hear voices like CBC, Ricky Hall, be amplified. Miss Vivian, I don't know her last name. Please forgive me, but I know you know who I'm talking about. Love her to pieces. She's been a part of the Ordinance Advisory Committee from day one, and I hope she's still... It's been a minute since I was connected with her, but um, I know she's well in-depth in that Westside community, and voices like hers 
is who we hurt from very early in the process. And I know she represents what Mr. Ricky here is kind of amplifying as well. So those are the voices that we were trying to bring to the table. Those who, who have not historically been at the table in previous planning sessions or in previous plan developments. When I joined the planning commission, the South End Vision Plan was being finalized. Mm-hmm. And so I got to kind of add my two cents to that. TOD was being What'd developed. What you do to that neighborhood? <laughs> <laughs> Let me say too. Trust me, this no, is this kidding. is after the light rail. <laughs> but the TOD was being developed, and you used I think you said transit develop transit oriented. Overlay what, transit district? overlay district oh, yeah, is what you refer, refer oh, to. Yeah. What I know it as is a transit-oriented Orient- development. development. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah I was wrong. And so um, <laughs> I just wanted to add, and and you, but yeah, yours yeah. yours fits too. People um, in the know were listening, like, oh, finally someone told them. <laughs> Let me. Um, hey, look, but I, um, I just wanted to to add that piece <laughs> about the the engagement to number one, give kudos to staff, but also to say that as a, a personally, as a member of the planning commission, and as planning commission as a whole. This plan is not perfect, but if we're going to take a, an opportunity to pause, to delay, as Justin pointed out, to, so that we hear from more people, then we're not just going to hear from the Myers Park and the Rubik's. We're going to hear from CBC's West Side, East Side. Depending on who the media amplifies. Exactly. But if this is the reason why we're pausing... Now, I'm advocating for even more people from other areas to actually come to the table. So I just wanted to add that piece about community engagement. And And I want want to just take a a pivot, too. The CBC does not discredit all of the people who have participated in the development of the comprehensive plan vision, you know, uh, whether it be from the community to the staff, to local government. I want to tip my hat to Tao Gioba, who is taking a, a, lot, a lot of hits. I wouldn't want to be him and, right now. Yeah. And, and I just want to say he needs that he has been receptive to listening to the demands of the CBC. He has certainly incorporated some of the requests that we have made. And I just think that in this delayed process, we have an opportunity to explain the further merits of the 2040 comp plan. We have an opportunity to strengthen the anti-displacement language and ensure that community benefits are a strong part of the plan going forth in all three sectors that I mentioned. And more so, we have an opportunity to further engage the community in the understanding of what community benefits are and how they can be utilized as a tool in Charlotte-Mecklenburg as they are in uh, 50 other cities in the country. Just most recently, Asheville had a public benefits agreement that is tantamount to what we're seeking to do here uh, and and I just call attention to that. But in this process, we certainly have an, an, an opportunity to educate the community. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm certain that once the community understands what community benefits are and community benefits agreements can do, 
we can go a long way in saying yes, it contributes to addressing some of those systemic maladies that were talked about in terms of social and economic mobility in Charlotte being 50 out of 50, which we, you know, had a fit over that particular designation. Right. If, we're, <laughs> if we are really intentional about that framework that is laid out in the preamble of the comprehensive plan, then we would say yes to community benefits agreements as put forth by the Community Benefits Coalition. So let me ask, because I'm, I'm all about actionable change and actionable solutions rather than long discussions about how we do this, this, and that. What are three things for you, Ricky, that if the city came out and said, we're going to, we, we listen to what you said, we're going to do this, this, and this, that made you say, all right, we're I'm totally... that they're listed right there and there's three demands from the press release. <laughs> Perfect, because I want to hear them. No. Uh, if, if it was just, we're going to do this, this, and this after listening to you, and then you were just like, okay, perfect. Let's move forward with it. Now, actually, this is national examples of community oh, benefits gotcha, gotcha. agreement. <laughs> okay? But if there are three, if you're asking me, one would be to have strong anti-displacement language, and we already have some of that particular language. Two would be to strengthen the segments of the comprehensive plan that talks about community benefits, strengthen that language so that it allows for the implementation of community benefits agreements as a part of the comp plan, as a part of UDO, and as a part of the transit-oriented development or the transit overlay uh, district so that there is no distinct distended aspect of that and that it is unified across uh, this for the next uh, 20 years. And as Taiwo has said, that we're not going to wait to 20 years out. We're going to be revisiting this in five-year increments. Then let's measure in those five-year increments how far and what progress we have made, not only in the development of the community, but in the implementation of community benefits in those segments of the community that have been systemically and historically marginalized and that we see uh, rapidly gentrifying each and every day, which is actually extracting wealth from those who, whose primary source of wealth creation, is, is, as we know it, is what? Homeownership. Mm-hmm. You know, so we, we, see, we see those challenges. This is a lived experience that I'm giving voice to as representational of those communities that I speak of. And so um, let, let's, let's be about making change and not doing as we've always done and getting the same results. All right. and What's glad- the third one? Did you give a third? Yes. The oh. creation of community benefit zones. Oh, gotcha. Right. Gotcha. And that's, I'm glad you mentioned one of those parts because it's something Justin mentioned earlier as well, and I wanted to sort of close on this in the fact that you just mentioned how part of the plan states coming back and revisiting it and, and, and adapting every five years. And Justin has said earlier, like, bring that who's up to all say the time. that yeah. in 20 years this has not all been forgotten? I remember reading, you, uh, the, the talking point is that it hasn't been there since 1975. Are we sure that there wasn't a process that people tried to put in place in the 90s because i remember going looking back through old creative loafings and they were talking about this future plan and everybody was talking about it and i think it was late at 90s or so 
And it just, and I was reading it just like, what the hell ever happened to this? There were renderings of crazy buildings. They were floating cars. No, there weren't floating cars. But I guess just most people hear a talk of a 2040 plan. And the first time you and I spoke, Kiba, was I was writing a story a couple months ago about some folks in unincorporated far west. um, I'm familiar. And when you said unincorporated, I thought about our conversation in the car. And I thought about that (laughs) story. Um, So about some folks who felt like they were getting left out of the development process because they had a neighborhood plan. And that's all they have. Because like you said, you can't even vote on city council reps. But they still make decisions for you over zoning. But then what Ed Driggs, I think it was, I don't want to misquote, uh, but someone at that meeting months ago said was that, you know, our city is growing so fast that a neighborhood plan from eight years ago doesn't really mean much. And that, But that's all they had to hang on to. So how are we, and I guess you sort of just answered with the five-year plan in breaking this up in quarters, but how would you sort of comfort, I don't know is the word, just affirm the fact that this isn't just going to be all for, you know, it's going to happen for a couple of years and then things just change so much. So one of the things that um, I will identify is that outside of what we kind of police, is not the right word, but our charge is as planning commission mm-hmm. to help push out to the public and recommend to council. Outside of those things, we adopt our own goals, statements of support for particular issues, most recently economic Vitality, environmental sustainability. They got a whole new affordable. economic with a second word. <laughs> I know the Econ- development just one. Sounds like it's too late in the podcast to introduce <laughs> things like that. Environment, sustainability. We have our own support statements that we develop, we adopt as a body to help lead discussion in our zoning decisions, for instance. So one of the one of the things that um, in reference to the comment that you made about that particular petition out in the west side of the unincorporated county, county, no, although they don't might not have a voice in a vote, but some of these plans that we're adopting will affect some unincorporated parts of the city. In particular, one of the the community that I live in, we're looking to get annexed because we need some support for road improvements, things of that nature, but. Outside of that, we are trying to support our own statements uh, of things that we want to push forward as a commission and as leading uh, thoughts and policies that we want to see come to fruition as a body, planning commission, affordability, housing affordability is one of them, Um, Vision Zero, we support that statement as well, we support that policy, the CAP. So environmental sustainability is one of the things that we push forward for our 2020 work plan. And so as we are uh, kind of remembering and honoring those statements, we put in those documents that they are living, breathing documents. We will not recommend approval of this comprehensive plan as a commission if it is not a living, breathing document. That means it gets updated and, you know, pushed through, revisited. It, we're going to hold the feet, you know, feet to the fire when it comes to the planning department. When Tywo says, "Hey, this is going to be revisited every five to seven years, and updated as needed," we believe him. We don't have a reason not to. Um, Tywo has been uh, the number one advocate of that. Uh, Alicia Osborne, who is the project manager for the comprehensive plan, has said that much as well. Kudos for, to all the hard work, the accessibility that we've had to her um, in these last couple of years. So we don't have a reason to not believe that as a commission, that is something that we would advocate for. We would not recommend adoption of this plan if that were not the case. That would be the, the, the key uh, there. 
additionally, I personally, as a commissioner, have recommended that just like we are documenting all the comments and suggested changes that are being voiced in terms of the comprehensive plan, everybody's welcome to give input, by the way. CharlotteFuture2040.com, C-L-T-F-U-T-U-R-E-2040. Send an email, CharlotteFuture2040 at CharlotteNC.gov also is a way that you can get input. And so they're tracking feedback on what people want to see changed, tweaked, removed, added to the comprehensive plan through those two methods. But also, I personally have recommended as commissioner that we keep track of the changes after the thing, this thing is adopted, six months after, a year after, five years after, what have people said now that this is adopted, now that UDO is on the ground and coming out of the ground, right? What are people saying that needs to be changed about the 2040 plan? I want to dash, there will be a dashboard. And one of the changes or one of the things that I want to see come out of that dashboard is change tracking, suggestion tracking, What are people suggesting be changed about the 2040 plan? And how can that be visible to CBC, to me as a resident, to you as media? What are people saying, hey, we (laughs) (laughs) we thought this was a good idea, but here's what I want to see changed. And so for staff to have a record of things that people are recommending as changes and the next revisit is something that I personally, as a commissioner, am advocating for. So keeping folks like Ricky at the table, I think, is important because as soon as you know it's a living, breathing document, then the folks with all the power who have always had the traditional power will constantly, constantly be at the door. Well, it also has to to stay fluid because of the next Ricky, the next community leader who has input who may differ from yours or just see something different, and it just it has to stay fluid. Right, and to his point, you know, what's good for West Side may not be identical to what's good for East Side and Northwest yeah. Side and things different of that communities, nature. different cultures, different people. Right. All of it. Right. All right. And it's something that staff is open to, by the way. I'll add. And as a living document, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. I just wanted to say that in this time in which we're having ongoing dialogue in the community, I, as a representative of the CBC, I'm happy to have continued discussions that allow for uh, understanding and awareness, but I would encourage um, those who are listening to also to do some research on community benefit agreements. And I'm certain that after you've conducted that research, you would agree that this is a healthy tool to bring to the Charlotte-Mecklenburg uh, landscape as it relates to this discussion. And also would offer myself to any council members who might, you know, have some angst regarding community benefits agreements as well to have this because it is a give-and-take dialogue that hopefully we can reach a level of understanding that lends itself to using this as a useful tool in the Charlotte-Mecklenburg community. Absolutely. I just want to close out. Yeah, we, we, close we, it out, we've been, Bring us home. We've been talking about buzzwords uh, mm. before the podcast, during the breaks, but we've not mentioned that one, that that main one that's been kind of getting people riled up. It's the single-family zoning. Oh, right. Oh, yeah. I will stop short of expressing my stance on single-family zoning. It is in the plan for a reason, however, and that reason is because of the public engagement process. There were three phases for a two-year period, right? We don't want to discount 
that community engagement, that feedback. Well, we'll also add that um, we have council members who are not necessarily against single family only elimination. However, they are in support of making changes to increase access to home ownership. And I just wanted to touch on that just a little bit. This is not a, oh my goodness, we want to put, we want to remove R3 from everything. We want to remove R4, R5, R8 from everything. That is not the design of the plan. Nowhere in the plan does that exist. Single family only, like if your community is currently R3, it could be possible that on that empty lot that sits on the corner or two houses down from you, that there could be a duplex on that corner or a triplex on that corner. And the goal of the plan, because of the history of R3, R4, R5 zoning, is to eliminate certain demographic um, bodies. It, it is to eliminate that as a historical method of denying home ownership for uh, certain groups of people. So that was the aim of changing or opening up R3 to other methods of home ownership of being able to live in a particular community. So I wanted to touch on that just a little bit. And that is one of the myths that exists in the or, or is out there. Right. That is one of the, the untruths. That's one of the misconceptions about the plan is that, oh, my gosh, we want to take Myers Park, Dilworth and, you know, South Park and every open lot you have, we're going to put a quadruplex on that lot. That's right. not the intent of the plan. The right. plan is to offer options for people to live, enjoy, and get to take advantage of different benefits that different communities offer. I wanted right. to yeah. offer that clarity. I feel like we didn't touch on that one because that's not our demographic. They ain't listening to this. And two, oh, it is. who cares <laughs> Who cares if they build a quadplex in your, yeah. on your fucking corner? It's just another family <laughs> walking in the middle of the street with their dog like you do, you asshole. Use the sidewalk. <laughs> I'm driving. Like four houses down from me. It's, they're doing fine. I have tons of apartment complex going in blocks down. That's not what the result will be. Alright, guys. We really appreciate y'all coming in. This has been a great talk. Just keep your eyes on Next steps, I was just wanted to mention. Yeah. Next steps, so we just had the public hearing on the 23rd, which was a couple of days ago. This next, is coming out in June. Yeah, next step no, is, uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, this public hearing happened on the 22nd. Planning committee postponed their normal third Tuesday of the month meeting to wait for public hearing comments to come in to consider. Um, so the, the, the evolution of the plan goes like this. The plan gets developed, it gets discussion amongst the planning commission, but it's the planning committee of the Charlotte-Mecklenburg Planning Commission that will make the final adoption. Yes, we want to push this forward to city council. That comes from the planning committee of the Charlotte-Mecklenburg Commission. So they just met on Tuesday after public hearing because they wanted to hear what else do the people have to say. You just mentioned that Mayor Lyles actually advocated and suggested a delay of 60 days for this plan adoption. So the original adoption was April 26th. It has now moved to late June. In that time frame, what is also suggested, and I hope, I sincerely hope, that um, I get to see some of the engagement that different council members have with their own constituents because I think, 
as I, I read earlier, that is the part that was missing throughout the process. So I hope we get to see some of that come to actual fruition and not just because somebody is opposed to something. It, it was like it was reactionary. And so I'm, I'm encouraged that Madam Mayor and Council are open to, I think, weekly discussions on this topic with their constituents, or at least in a public setting, so that we can gather more feedback from REBIC or CBC or whoever that party may be, the normal everyday Charlottean like myself and you, Justin and Ryan, and so that we can consider everybody's feedback. So at, at this point, everybody is uh, granted an opportunity to add more feedback right. to what we consider in this plan. And, and I love to see it because if anybody has felt left out, I, I personally speaking, and from what I see in dealing with staff and city council every day, that was not the intent. I can tell you that this is the most robust engagement plan that the city of Charlotte has ever produced. Mm -hmm. That is a fact, hands down. If you ask any city council member, if you ask any member of staff, they will say the same thing. This is the most robust engagement plan that has ever existed in the city's history. However, if we have constituents who feel that still is not enough, that's feedback that the city council is welcome to listen to, is 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 open to listening to, staff is listening to. And I think that I wanted to come appear here because I wanted to listen. Right. So as my role as vice chair of the planning commission, I also want to hear what's that feedback that even if I feel that the robust engagement has been there, somebody feels like they've been left out, whether that be Revic or CBC. Mm-hmm. I want to hear what that feedback is. So that's one of the reasons why I took this invitation. Thank you, by the way. Mm-hmm. And um, so next steps is now we deliberate as a full commission on April 5th. That is streaming live on the Charlotte Planning Design and Development's Facebook page. On April 5th, we decide on which comments that we would advocate be considered in terms of changes to the plan. Right. So April 5th, that, meeting's, that meeting happens. I believe somewhere around the 19th, it goes to TAP Committee, Transportation, Environment, and Planning Committee for City Council. That's headed by Mayor Pertem Isolt, who chairs that particular committee, and they hear changes to the comprehensive plan. They hear updates to the comprehensive plan. And then uh, we continue dialogue. It's going to be a very busy next 60 days. So, yeah, it's a crazy 60 and, days. And um, I think Madam Mayor has uh, voiced her, her desire that city council votes on this somewhere around the end of Mar- end of June mm-hmm. of 2021. And, and let me just end by saying that when you look at the CBC position, mm-hmm. it is one of the most forward and progressive parts that can be strengthened within the comprehensive plan, the UDO, or the transit overlay. Mm -hmm. It is a new tool to Charlotte-Mecklenburg landscape, but it has certainly been tried and tested in other parts of the country. And I would just say that it is a process that will add great value to the planning, land use, and development uh, of the Charlotte-Mecklenburg uh, community over the next uh, decade. Absolutely. All right. Well, we appreciate you guys coming on here. We'll see you guys next time. Cheers. All right. Thanks. Thank you. This has been good. Thank you.